Okay, everybody, it is good to see you this morning. If you're new with us, my name is Andrew, like Pastor Colin said. I'm the lead pastor here, and it's a joy to see you all. Uh, do please stop at Connect Central and grab a gift, you know, it'll make Colin feel better. Uh, I'm going to be in the book of Matthew chapter 1, so this is the fourth Sunday of Advent, and because we're not going to be in person for Christmas Eve, uh, we're kind of mashing up Christmas Eve and the fourth Sunday of Advent together here, but I think it's going to be good. So Christmas Eve will be online. We've recorded a beautiful service. It'll be online all day long, so make sure to take some time as a family or with some friends, gather around and watch that. And then also on the 27th, we will not be in person, just like Pastor Collins said. That will be an online service as well. And then we'll be back in action right here on January the 3rd to kick off the new year. So this is Matthew chapter 1. And uh, somebody just cheered for the new year. This is, you know, uh, 2021. Come on, please. But there's still some goodness left in this year, and we're going to find it. Here we go. Matthew chapter 1. Let's just pause for a word of prayer here. Lord, we thank you that you're in our midst. Bless you. We bless you. We bless you. We pray that adoration and worship and awe and wonder would pour out of our hearts this morning. We ask that we would be staggered anew by the mystery. (laughs) That we would reel. That our minds would reel and our hearts would reel. And that we'd find ourselves undone, broken again, against the wonder of it all. Jesus, you said that if the rock falls on you, you're crushed to pieces. But if you fall on the rock, you'll be broken. And that's what we want to do. We want to fall on this rock this morning. And we want to be broken in such a way that you can put us back together again, whole and sound and complete. So do that, we pray. Help us lean into the mystery. Help us lean into the wonder. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear, hearts to know and understand all that you have done for us in Christ Jesus. Grant that, we pray. May the words of the preacher's mouth and the meditation of the hearer's hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, Amen. Matthew chapter 1. This is how, Matthew writes, the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. And because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law... And yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said to him, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And all of this, Matthew writes, took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, namely, that the virgin would conceive and give birth to a son, and they would call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's the mystery here. And when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife, but he didn't consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. And indeed, just as the angel said, they gave him the name Jesus. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord, and all God's people said... Yes, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. This morning, we come to ponder the mystery, the miracle that makes our whole faith possible, the miracle of the incarnation. God, somehow, some way, 
has become human. And all of this is for us, as the creed says, and it's for our salvation. And when you start trying to wrap your mind around it, it the mind really does reel. It staggers. It doesn't know which way to, to turn. I think about maybe my favorite line from the great Christmas hymn that we sometimes sing around here, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. My favorite stanza of that song is the second stanza. Christ by highest heaven adored. Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time. Do you know it? Behold him come. Offspring of the virgin's womb. And then this is the line that gets me every time. Veiled. Do you know it? Veiled in flesh. What? The Godhead see. The paradoxes there are so beautiful. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus, our Emmanuel. When you start getting into the incarnation, the language becomes inevitably paradoxical. It's the only way that you can say it. I think about the statement of the great St. Augustine many centuries ago, where he said this about God, thinking about God in his innermost being, Augustine said that if you think you can comprehend it, it's not God. (laughs) The moment that you think you've wrapped your mind around the infinite being of God, the ineffable one, the incomprehensible one, the, the moment you think you've got a concept that's suited to God, God being the being that he is, always exceeds all of our concepts of God. By definition, he is the incomprehensible one. By definition, he's the invisible one. Uh, Paul said it so beautifully where he said, that who can discern uh, his judgments, his paths are beyond tracing out. Beyond tracing out. And when Paul said that, he wasn't expecting that we would go, oh yeah, I can trace out his paths. Who can discern his judgments, his paths are beyond, yeah, no, I got this, I, no, no. God is beyond all that we can ever even think or say of God. Even the word God is too small for God. He's larger than all of our concepts of God. And so then in the incarnation, we have something that is totally staggering to the mind. That somehow the incomprehensible God has become comprehensible. Somehow the ineffable God has become effable. Somehow the infinite one has become finite, and even more than that, he's done it all without leaving behind any of his incomprehensibility. He's done it without leaving behind any of his ineffability. He's done it without leaving behind any of his divinity. Somehow you get this paradox, pleased as men with men to dwell Jesus, our Emmanuel, which means God with us and both sides of that equation are absolutely critical. He is God and he's with us somehow at once. And Jesus' best friends understood this so well, which is why they said the things that they did say about him, that the traces of this incarnational theology, what we later experience as the Nicene Creed, it's all there in the New Testament if you have eyes to see it. One of Jesus' best friends who knew his humanity so well. John put it like this in 1 John chapter 1. John said, that which was from the beginning, here he's talking about Jesus and his deity, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, but more than that, 
somehow human hands have touched ineffable God. All of these things, John says, we're proclaiming concerning the word of life. The life, what? Appeared, we have seen it, and we testify to it, and we're proclaiming to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. Then watch what John says. He says that we're proclaiming to you, I love this, what we've seen and heard. Why? So that you can have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And he says, we're writing all of this to fill up our joy, to make your joy complete. But somehow what has happened in Christ Jesus is God has taken human flesh in such a way that it's broken the barriers of possibility for how we relate not only to God, but to each other. Everything has changed because Jesus has come. And the scandal, the shock, the wonder of Christianity is that God has done just this, that he's taken a body for us, that he's climbed into human flesh for us and for our salvation. He doesn't do it for himself, but who does he do it for? It's all us. Everything is for us. Everything that God does is for us. That means that what God is, is he is the very best giver of gifts. And all of his gifts are so perfect and they're so appropriate. God so loved the world that what? He gave. God gives. In a few days, we're all going to engage in that ritual that is surely our favorite part of Christmas. Yeah, we're going to open presents, aren't we? And you love it, and it never gets old, does it? The opening presents is so fun. And my family, we write out little Christmas lists, and we exchange them with each other because you got your things that you know, you're hoping to get for Christmas, and it's great. It's great when you sit around on Christmas morning. Now we have four kids, and so the kids do this too. And Christmas morning is spectacular in our house. It's great. And you love it. You love getting the things that you asked for, you know, on your list. It's wonderful to open that up. And there it is. It's like, oh, it's, it matches the thing that was in my heart. It's so beautiful and wonderful. But the very best gifts, at least in my opinion, are the gifts that you didn't ask for. And yet they're perfectly suited to your need and desire. You know what I mean? Those to me are the perfect gifts. And two of the gifts that fit that description for me last year, one came from Mandy. We got really to the end of the gift opening and I had like one or two left and I opened the one and pulled that box open. And you know what was in the box? Wool socks. And I said to myself, you're all grown up now, Andrew Bart. <laughs> when you get wool socks for Christmas and your eyes light up, that's how you know. You all grown up, okay? <laughs> it's just perfect, unanticipated, unlooked for, but it met a need and it met a desire. And then a couple days later, my parents were with us and we exchanged, with my par- exchanged gifts with my parents and that was so delightful. And then I had one more that I needed to open from my mom, and it was a really heavy box that I thought, yay, it must be expensive. You know, I don't know. So I opened the box and pull that wrapping paper off and all of that, and do you know what was in this box? Brothers and sisters, it was wind chimes. <laughs> and my eyes lit up with joy, right? It was so perfect, you know? The wind chimes. I didn't even know that I really wanted wind chimes. And yet I got it. And if the wool socks had not convinced me that I was a grown-up, the wind chimes firmly, like put it 
beyond all doubt. You're all grown up now, Andrew Arwell, socks and wind chimes. And <laughs> unanticipated and unasked for, right? But it perfectly meets a need that I didn't even really realize that I had. I did not realize that my porch was barren and naked without wind chimes. And then the wind chimes shown up. And this is and how everything is. That's the way that it is. The very best gifts are always the gifts that are unlooked for, unanticipated, but they perfectly meet a need. They're perfectly suited to the situation. Even more than that, I would say that the very best stories are the stories where the conclusion is totally unanticipated and totally unlooked for. And yet when you look back, you go, it couldn't have been otherwise. This, it had to be exactly this way. The great novelist of the 20th century, J.R.R. Tolkien, called it a catastrophe. A good catastrophe. It's that thing that shocks the narrative that is for the benefit of everybody involved. You didn't see it coming, but it's perfectly suited to the narrative. And when we come to this moment, the incarnation, the incarnation is that event that nobody saw coming. Nobody could have seen it coming. And yet it's perfectly suited to the story that God is telling among us, the very beginning of the biblical story, when God shapes human beings, Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, the scripture says that the Lord God formed a man from what? The dust of the ground and then did what? Breathed, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man what? Became a living being. Think about that. From the very beginning of the biblical story, what it means to be human already from the start is that we're an admixture of the material and the mystical. We're an admixture of flesh and spirit somehow coming together in this nexus that makes us who we are. God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath, the spirit of life, and somehow we became a living being. Already it's an anticipation of what occurs in the incarnation just a little bit later in Genesis. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8, the scripture says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was what? Walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. We get these two storylines that all of a sudden are set down from the very beginning in Genesis. That what it means to be human is that somehow we are a nexus between flesh and between spirit. And also God desires to dwell with us. And this storyline, even when human beings fall into sin, the storyline never goes off the tracks. When God is forming his people after delivering them from Egypt, giving them the law, giving them the regulations regarding the sacrifice, how we cultivate presence in our midst, he says this to them in Leviticus chapter 26. He says that I will put my what? My dwelling place among you. But then this, and I will not abhor you. Think about it for a second. What does it mean to abhor? We're talking about the very highest degree of loathing. Okay. And we all know what it feels like to be held in contempt by others. We all know what it feels like to be ashamed of ourselves, to have shame heaped on us. 
We know what it feels like to make mistakes that cause us deep shame and deep regret and deep embarrassment. We know what it's like to wander off into the far country. We know what it's like to grieve God and to grieve those around us. We know what it's like to live in a place where we abhor ourselves and we feel shame coming to us from others. We all know what that's like. And God says that he knows it too. And even in spite of that, he says, I will put my dwelling place among you and I will not abhor you. Like even when you make a mess of your life, I'm still seeking presence with you. Even when you're covered in shame, I'm still seeking communion with you. Even when you've done the worst that you can think of, even when you're covered in defilement, even when your life has been drugged through the mud, even when sin and shame cover you from head to toe, I will put my dwelling place among you and I will not abhor you. I will walk among you and be your God and you will be my people He says in verse 13, For I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt so that you would no longer be slaves to the Egyptians. I broke the bars of your yoke and I enabled you to walk with heads held high. Brothers and sisters, this is our God. This is our God. That even when our lives are trashed with sin, even when our lives are falling to pieces, even when they're completely disintegrating, even when we are covered in head from head to toe with contamination. Do you know what God does for us? He seeks us out. His presence doesn't reject us. He doesn't stand at a distance, but instead he comes to dwell among us and nowhere more perfectly or more supremely than in the person of Christ. Matthew chapter one and verse 20. After Joseph had considered these things, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Think on it. Our sin-stained, sin-broken, defiled flesh, God takes that on in the person of Jesus. He's that not put out by us. That it's not just that he comes among us in some mystical way, but he comes among us concretely, flesh and bone, as one of us. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. And all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said to the prophet, that the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means that's our story. That's our story. It's the unlooked for conclusion to the biblical story. To be human is to be that that, that admixture of mystical and material. And, and to know the Lord at all is to know that he wants to dwell with us. But this is how much God is determined to dwell among us. That he doesn't just come among us as some mystical, spiritual presence. He hasn't just come among our bodies. But in fact, he has become one of our bodies, a body in the midst of all defiled human bodies to sanctify and give life to those human bodies. This is our God. This is our God. And it doesn't matter how broken our lives become. It does not matter how defiled they become. It does not matter how contaminated they become. God has made our lives ours in Christ Jesus. And when you know that, when you start to see that, it changes everything. It changes your whole manner of perceiving 
the world. Several years back, I was serving as the pastor on call here at New Life. We have this phone we pass around as a pastoral staff. Anytime you call the church, if you need anything, you'll be able to get a hold of a pastor. And I was... So, there we go. You're welcome, ladies and gentlemen. What do I do with this, Colin? Do you want it? Here, you can have it. Whoa! Here we go. In a COVID year, you'd expect nothing less than some kind of faux pas like that in the middle of a very serious story, you know? Well, such it is. So, so it is. Uh, serving as pastor on call, and I got a phone call on Labor Day weekend. It was Monday. I was at the park with the kids. and Phone rings, and I pick up the phone, and on the other end of the line was a guy by the name of Roger, and he said, hey, do you guys come and do home visits? And I said, we certainly do. What's, what's the matter? He said, well, I attended your church a couple times years ago, and I know about your ministry, but he said, these last several years, I've been struggling with pancreatic cancer, and I'm dying in stage four. And he said, I'm just wondering if somebody would come and lay their hands on me, pray for me. And I said, sir, I would love to do that. And so I made arrangements to go and see him the next day, lived up in monuments, and so I drove out to see him, and you're just not knowing what to expect. He'd just been dying in his home, you know. So I knocked on the door, and he was living with his daughter. His daughter let me in, a couple grandkids there. And I remember walking, and I was not prepared for what I saw, that it wasn't just that the cancer was consuming his body, but the gravitational pull of the cancer was actually consuming their whole life together as a family. It had eaten up all of their resources, huge distraction, all of those things. And when we say the word corruption, you know, uh, that's what it means. When things start to fall apart, when they literally, when life starts to disintegrate, and it wasn't just his life personally, but it was their life together as a family that had begun to disintegrate. And I remember sitting by his bedside in this room, and Roger was wasted down to his bones. And I caught up with him a little bit and got some of his story, and he came to know Jesus during the Vietnam War. He was a veteran. So he had faith in his heart, and we made that connection and spent some time talking with each other, and I got to learn his life a little bit. And, and then we did the, thing that you, the only thing that you can do in moments like that, you know, we began to center ourselves together as two brothers in Christ in our story, in the text of Scripture. And I started quoting to him Psalm 23, just begin to give thanks for it. The Lord is our shepherd. We thank you, God, for that. We thank you that you are Roger's shepherd, and therefore he shall not be in want. And you make him lie down in green pastures, Lord, and you lead him beside quiet waters, and even now you're restoring his soul and you're guiding him in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And even now, here, when he's walking through the valley of the shadow of death, we say that Roger will fear no evil because you are with him. And your rod and your staff, they will comfort him. And you prepare a table before him. In the presence, even in the presence of this pancreatic cancer, you're preparing a table for, for him in the presence of his enemies. And you're anointing his head with oil. And his cup, even now, is running over. And surely goodness and mercy will follow him all the days of his life. And they're going to chase him right into the the house of the Lord forever and ever. And Roger, I could see faith welling up in his heart and tears in his eyes. And I'm praying over him and anointing his head with oil in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And I remember starting to quote to him, John 1, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Apart from him nothing was made that has been made. And in him was life, and that light 
was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And Roger at this point is crying in his bed and I'm still rubbing oil into his forehead and praying for him and tears are welling up in my eyes. And I start quoting to him Romans 8. Paul says, I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is available to us where? In Christ Jesus, our Lord. And by this time, we're both weeping there in the presence of God. And I have spent my entire life in the church and I've been in powerful worship services and prayer meetings and had my own personal times with the Lord where the presence of God overwhelmed me. And I can count on one hand the number of times where I have been and experienced the presence of God more profoundly than that time. The rush of God's spirit in that place where human life was broken, in that place where human life was degraded, in that place where human life by sin, because of the curse of sin, is being ripped to death, still somehow God rushed into that place and made it new with the gift of his presence and the gift of his love. And it was so overwhelming to me that it, it surprised me and it shouldn't have surprised me. Because we are those who believe that for us and for our salvation, he what? Came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate of the Virgin Mary and was made man. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead in his kingdom. It's not going to have any end. Christ Jesus in human flesh has descended to the lowest places that we can go. The absolute bottom of the pit, Corey ten Boom, the Holocaust survivor, once said that there is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. You know how we know that? We know that because of the one who has been wrapped in human flesh, veiled in flesh. God at sea, hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel, this is why we worship there is nothing that we can do. There is nowhere that we can go. There is nothing that we can experience that will separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And when you believe that, it changes everything. It changes everything. I remember praying for a girl down at the altar at New Life North a few years ago. She had gone through, grew up in church, and knew the teaching knew that she needed to manage her body in a way that was holy and honorable, right? She knew all of that. And in the weeks prior to my encounter with her, on a Sunday morning, she had fallen into sin, and she has got tears in her eyes that morning. I said, what can I pray for you for? She said, well, I feel like I've just I've made a mess of myself, and I've lost my purity, she said. I've lost my purity. I said, well, what happened? She explained what happened. I said, listen... Too often, we think of our holiness as an achievement. That what we do is we go, it's all about how I manage myself. 
It's all about avoiding these behaviors and engaging these behaviors and making sure that I do things just so. And my, our holiness then is located in what we do. It's located in who we are. And I said to her, sister, what you've done is it's sin. And it needs to be repented of. But here's the thing. Holiness is not an achievement. Holiness is a gift. And if you have eyes to see it, even through this thing, where you feel like you've stumbled in a way that's unrecoverable, even this thing will actually lead you to a holiness that is better than you would have had if all you've done for the rest of your life is just manage your holiness. This is our faith. That it's not of works, that it's not what we do, that it's not of human effort. It's not of our striving. What we do is we cast ourselves over and over and over into the one body that has ever been holy among human bodies, the body of Jesus Christ. And somehow what happens is that his holiness passes into us. He makes us holy. Let's stand to our feet this morning. Hold the communion elements in your hand this morning, brothers and sisters. Here is the great miracle. We do not know and we cannot explain how this works. (laughs) Our faith, our faith everywhere is couched in paradox. It's all baked into the whole thing. You can't avoid it. How God is one and yet three, the triune God. We can't explain that, but we experience it, right? And how God has come among us in the person of Jesus, we can't explain it, but we can experience it. And how God somehow takes this moment, this bread and this cup, and makes it a part of the extension of his life and holiness to us, we cannot explain it. But you know what we do? We believe it. We cast ourselves into it by faith. And so here and now, Jesus, the incarnate one, is giving himself to us again in a way that, and I don't know what kind of a year you had. You might've had a year that was an absolute train wreck of a year. And you come in here this morning just feeling like you are at the absolute bottom of the pit. I have such good news for you. God has come to find you in Jesus. God has come to find you in Jesus. And there is nothing that you can do. And there is no rebellion that you can run into that he won't run in there with you. He's coming to find you. Surrender. And so Lord Jesus, here we are at the table. We remember that all of this is for us and for our salvation. We remember that you came down. We remember that you gave your life for us. We remember that you did all of this to make us holy as you are holy. And so we say yes to you. And on the night that he was betrayed, after he had given thanks, the Lord Jesus took the bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples. And he said, take this, all of you, and eat. This is my body. It is broken for you. Do this whenever you eat it in remembrance of me. Let's break the body together and hang on to it. And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, drink from this, all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for many for the remission of sins. Do whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Brothers and sisters, somehow Jesus Christ has come to dwell among us in a way that makes us new. This is his body broken for you. This is the cup of the new covenant, the blood of Christ shed for you. Take it in remembrance that Christ loves you that he has reconciled you to God, that he is your holiness and your right standing before God the Father. Do it and know that as the power of his incarnation comes to you, he makes it as though you've never failed. 
You got a fresh start with him. The body of Christ, let's take it together. The cup of salvation, making all things new. Let's take it together. And would you now give God thanks and praise for what he's done? We say, thank you, Lord Jesus. We adore you, Lord Jesus. We adore you. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Fall upon us. We pray by your spirit. Fall upon us, we pray. Since we are doing the fourth Sunday of Advents and Christmas Eve all in one this morning, we're going to light our fifth candle here, the Christ candle, celebrating the light of Christ that has come among us as we prepare to do that. Let's do this little call and response together. Brothers and sisters, today Christ is born. Today the Savior has come. Today the angels sing on earth. We welcome you today, Lord Jesus, light of the world, all together now. Amen. Let's worship together.
Had a funny moment uh, <laughs> during the first service. We had lit the candle, and I was lost in revelry here singing this worship song. And I looked down, and my light had gone out. Like drafty in here, you know? Panic for a second. No! Right? So I had to lean over to Mandy. I've got to borrow some of your light, you know? And she relit my candle, and I thought, that is actually a perfect statement of the gospel. Jesus says that we are the lights of the world, but we can only be the light of the world to the extent that we keep leaning over and relighting our light at his light. We're the light of the world because he's the light of the world first. And this morning, we remember that, that the light that we carry into the world isn't our own light. It's borrowed light. And with that light, our lives shine, as Paul says, like stars in the heavens. And so, brothers and sisters, Christ Jesus has come among us. Christ Jesus has come to you. And with his light, he's made your life a light. And so, as you go from this place this morning, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, grace mercy and peace be with you. Let's extinguish our candles before they burn our hands. Thanks be to God. Thus concludes our worshiping year at Grand Peak Academy. New Live East, come on now. Man, what a way to go out. You can just throw your candles away at the trash can at the door there. Make sure to soothe Pastor Colin's ego that you grab some of our gifts at the table. You are loved, you are blessed. We'll see you next year.